All right, and we are once again exploring faith and pursuing grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass. And tonight we are going to be discussing a concept that I have heard bandied about in my legalistic days. And Kevin, this is something you and I were having a conversation about not too long ago. And it's the idea of Christians and fun. Is it wrong for Christians to have fun? Is it wrong for Christians to experience pleasure within life? Is it wrong to pursue pleasure within life? And that's a very general way of saying things. And if it's if it's okay with you, I'd like to go ahead and kick this off with uh, discussing a conversation I had with a preacher friend of mine. Well, I, I say a conversation. I heard him give this in a lesson. I asked him a couple of follow-up questions afterwards. And then, <laughs> You know, pulled to pulled to the side by other people that wanted to bend his ear, get his attention on something. Um, there was a preacher within the One Cup Brotherhood who's in, incredibly well known, incredibly renowned, and I hold a tremendous amount of respect for him. I, I still think very highly of this of this man, and he was a very large proponent, as you were and as I was as well in those days, but even more so than you or I on having biblical authority for everything. This is a fellow who took Colossians 3 and 17, and he said everything in all things you do, you need to have authority Mm -hmm. and taught that concept of legislative silence, that silence forbids. That was one of the big talking points that anytime he would hold a gospel meeting or he would go speak anywhere, he would always give at least one or two talks on the principle of silence forbids of legislative silence, which means if the Bible is silent about a particular thing, that God was silent about it on purpose and you have to have authority for everything. Well, this includes taking vacations. This includes going to the movies. This includes anything, any pursuit in life that you do, whatever it may be, you need to have biblical authority for it. And if you don't have the biblical authority for it, well, it's not something you can do. Well, there are people that would take this idea and from it, they would extrapolate and reason through it that having any kind of fun probably wasn't something a Christian should do, whether that's going to the skating rink or an ice skating rink after church services during a a youth meeting or something like that, or playing basketball or volleyball or having a cookout somewhere at a, at a member's house after a service or, you know, whatever the case may be, there was a lot that one would need to do to curtail the idea of having fun because of the lack of authority for it. And what this boils down to, one of the comments that you had made when we were talking about this beforehand, is that this is really a modern form of asceticism. And you had mentioned that this is a topic that you had heard people kick around before, too, and that this only pertains to spiritual joy, that this is something that the joy that we have in life and the pleasure that we have in life can only be focused on spiritual things. And I thought that was an interesting wrinkle because that wasn't really something that I'd heard before. Yeah, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, when you talk about the fruit of the Spirit, one of the characteristics is joy. And joy is found all throughout the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And I remember having a conversation with someone about this when they believed that, and still do believe, that you're not supposed to have, quote unquote, too much fun. And we're going to talk about the problem with that statement in and of itself here in a moment. But the idea of joy is found all throughout Scripture. So my question to the individual is, what do you do with that? What do you do with with all these passages that talk about joy? And their so-called rebuttal is, well, that's spiritual joy. That's not physical joy. That's not talking about 
joy from secular things or pleasure from from worldly things. That's only talking about spiritual joy. And the the problem with that is what is joy and pleasure first and foremost? And how is one determining if something is secular and worldly versus spiritual and godly? Sitting and eating a cookie cake is not something that I would consider spiritual and godly, but <laughs> I, I sure get a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's yeah. something that I really enjoy. And there are, I mean, just food in general, when you think about how pleasurable food is, that's something that God gave us to enjoy. And we're going to talk about asceticism here in a little a little bit later, because some people may not be too familiar with that term, but I'm going to explain why I believe that this is a modern form of asceticism and where this idea not only originated from back then, back in the early church, but also how this idea has continued to develop and how Christians have kind of adapted the the views of way back then to how they view things today and how that's kind of morphed into this modern day asceticism. But yeah, I, I do think that Christians can have fun and I don't of course think there's anything wrong for Christians to have fun. And in fact, quite frankly, I think most Christians need to start having a little bit more fun in life. I mean, if, if joy really is joy and we don't have to redefine it to fit what we want it to mean, you know, joy is joy. And we're going to talk about what that means here in a moment, which, for lack of better words, it is kind of common sense when you talk about what, is, what does it mean to be joyful? What does it mean to be happy? But the Bible, in so many different places, talks about just the idea of fellowship. And it talks, Paul even uses sports illustrations about winning a crown in a race and races and things of that nature. And the the writer of Ecclesiastes, a lot of people believe that's Solomon, but he talks about there's a time to laugh, there's a time to dance, a time to dance, a time to laugh. Uh, Jesus went to a wedding, and I've heard people try to dismiss that example and say, well, yeah, Jesus only did that just to do a miracle and to show who he really was and that he was the Messiah. That's true. But that's not the only reason. He could have shown that in a hundred different ways. He actually went to this wedding. He enjoyed this wedding. Uh, the Bible, Jesus himself even, not just other Bible stories, but Jesus himself talks about celebrations with music and dancing. And Jesus is using parables, especially the prodigal son. And when he came back, there was music and dancing. Uh, Psalm 30 verse 11 says, God turned my mourning into dancing and clothed me with joy. So when you look at the Bible, first and foremost, yes, there are tons of Bible verses that speak of happiness and having fun. And for someone to try to split hairs and say, well, joy is not the same thing as fun. Okay, it may not be every single time. Uh, there are times when the Bible speaks about finding joy in trials. Sure, no doubt about that. But that's that's talking about more or less perspective. We always need to have proper perspective. But that doesn't take away the right, the freedom that we have as Christians to have fun, to celebrate, and to enjoy our lives. Well, one of the things that we notice in terms of Scripture, in addition to all of those things that you said, I really want to hone in on Jesus going to the wedding. A wedding is a is a joyful occasion. You especially have back then, yeah. Oh, especially back then. Yeah. It was a huge party. I mean, you know, multiple, uh, the equivalent of multiple 55-gallon drums of wine being created for this party speaks to the fact that this was, in fact, a party. 
They were having fun. They were engaging in mirth. They were mirthful. They were happy to borrow a term from Kohelet and Ecclesiastes. But, you know, I, I really appreciate you saying that because the book of Ecclesiastes was one of those books. It's one of those books that I revisit and I come back to whenever I'm having a hard time in life, whenever I'm having issues with mental health or my own my own issues. It's one that actually gives me a great deal of peace. And if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, you're probably thinking, Lee, what is wrong with him that the book of Ecclesiastes can give him peace? But you know, in, in Ecclesiastes 2 and 24, he says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. In Ecclesiastes 3 and 13, he says, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In Ecclesiastes 8 and 15, he says, and I commend joy for a man has no good thing under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So here in this passage, in, in this set of passages, and th this is an idea that permeates the book of Ecclesiastes. This is something that the preacher says over and over and over again. This is an idea that he continually circles about to. He also says that life is vain and life is vanity. Just the mere pursuit of joy in and of itself is, is a vain pursuit. But he also likens joy in appreciating the fruits of his labor. This is a gift from God. And joy in and of itself, like you said, it's, it's common sense, but in physiological terms, what brings us joy is a neurochemical called serotonin. If you don't have enough serotonin, you don't experience joy. You don't experience happiness. And if you don't have enough serotonin over time, that eventually can lend itself to a form of chronic depression. Not all depression is linked to a reduction in serotonin, but one of the treatments for depression is a class of drug called an SSRI. That is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So what this essentially the way this essentially works is whenever something happens that's funny, whenever something happens that makes you happy, what you experience is joy and what you experience is happiness is essentially a release of a chemical in your brain called serotonin. Well, if you flood your brain with ser too much serotonin, you can have serotonin syndrome, which can cause all kinds of other issues and problems that you don't want to have. But what the body does is, is you release your serotonin, it gives you that feeling of joy, and then your body reabsorbs that serotonin or breaks it down into its constituent parts so it can use it elsewhere. Well, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor inhibits your reabsorption of serotonin. For some people, they have very little to no joy. They're emotionally flat because their body reabsorbs that serotonin too quickly. Anyway, the point being, I, we're going to start getting into this and no one's here for a physiology lecture. You know, they're, they're here to think about faith and grace and how we can explore our faith and then pursue the grace of God. And whenever it comes to joy and realizing what joy is, joy, as we experience it, is a chemical reaction. But there are things that happen in life that lead to the release of serotonin, the birth of a child for a mother that physical act of birthing a child can lead to the release of serotonin. The act of um, eating Sex. food can release serotonin. That's actually where I was going next. <laughs> Sex releases serotonin. 
There are lots of things that release serotonin. Physical activity releases serotonin. That's why physical exercise can be a really effective treatment for depression and for a lack of joy because it causes the release of serotonin, dancing, listening to music, all of those things that the Bible links to joy cause and have been scientifically shown and proven to release serotonin in the brain of a healthy individual. So to say that we don't need to experience joy or that experiencing joy or pleasure or happiness or having fun, which is essentially the release of serotonin in a very, very broad sense, is in my mind, from my perspective, is to negate a blessing God gave us. And to me, it just it's it boggles the mind that someone could think that this gift is something that we shouldn't experience. Yeah, even Proverbs seventeen twenty two says that a cheerful heart or a happy heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones or a depressed spirit. And so even in Proverbs, we just see this pithy little saying about how being happy, being cheerful is good. And so, oh, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask the question with this in mind, whenever you look at Jesus going to a wedding, we see there in in Ecclesiastes three about there being a time to laugh and a time to dance. We look at David dancing before the Lord with all of his might in joy that the Ark of the Covenant had returned to Israel. And there are people who say, oh, well, that's a spiritual thing. And you can take joy from spiritual things. Yeah, but David was in a loincloth. He was in his tidy whities out there in the middle of the street. And you wouldn't say that that was okay. Yeah. And, with, well, and, and yeah. And I mean, his wife got upset because of what he was doing, too. Yeah. And, and she got, you know, she paid the penalty for that. I could pay the penalty. Yeah. She was rebuked harshly. But with all of that said, with everything in Ecclesiastes that we just read and, and so much more of what the Bible says, especially the joy that we have, like in the Song of Solomon, a book that you never really hear preached about in church, you know, the joy of experiencing that physical intimacy with your partner. With all of that being said, why does the question even come up? about teaching against having fun, or maybe a better way to put it is, is why do some Christians teach against having too much fun? Why is that the case? Well, or even question the idea of having fun. And I think the first question to back up real quick and look at is most individuals who promote this idea ask, is it okay to have too much fun? Or is it okay to have more fun than you should. And there, these questions are asked in, in a very uh, theoretical way. They're, they're, they're really yeah. not concrete because my first question is, well, what do you mean by too much fun? How yeah. are we, what does how that are we, mean? How are we defining too much fun? And because nobody that I know is going to say you can never, ever have fun. No, one's, no one that I've met I've never heard anyone argue, even those who question this, I've never heard anyone argue that it's wrong to enjoy things of this life, that it's wrong to derive pleasure from things of this world. I've never heard anyone argue that intrinsically it's wrong. It's always, well, you you shouldn't have too much fun. And my even my grandmother, she was like this because when when uh, on, on my dad's side of the family. When I was young, I remember I would always on weekends go spend the night with my friends, especially when I was in elementary school. And I would always just about every weekend go and spend the night with some of our friends. We'd have wrestling parties and we'd have, we'd have pay-per-view when it was WWF back in the day. I mean, we just have a great time. And I remember my grandmother, she goes, well, didn't he go out last weekend? You're letting, you're letting your son go out two weekends in a row. And my family's like, well, yeah, you know, that's, 
it's Friday. He hasn't gone out since last Friday. And she's like, well, that's just too much. He, you should, you should limit that to maybe just once a month. And it was the idea, well, it's okay to do it. You just don't need to do it too much. And so yeah, to answer same, your question, same. why do some Christians have this view? Why do they believe this? Well, I think it's several reasons. First of all, I think it could be because they themselves are not happy or joyful people. And they're looking for ways to justify their own misery. So if I'm miserable and I see other Christians joyfully parading around and, and they're living these great lives, I'm going to say, well, you know what? I don't know if, if what you're doing is right. I don't know if you should be doing that. I think you're having too much fun. So it could be a way to actually make themselves feel better, to, to make themselves feel justified in their own misery. But yeah, it misery also, loves company. Yeah. Yeah. But it also could be a way to feel more righteous because if someone is depriving themselves more than others, then the natural tendency is they believe now they're the superior Christian. Because I am sacrificing more than you. Instead of going to a football game, I'm going to go door knocking. Instead of watching a movie, I'm going to spend that two hours praying. Instead of uh, grilling out with my friends and listening to music on the radio, I'm going to just sit in silence and read scripture. And so I think that there are several reasons why. But I also think that there's just a lot of people who want to do the right thing. And they've been taught that too much fun is wrong. And I'm going to get into why some people have that belief here in a moment. But I think you've got a point you want to make as well here. Oh, yeah. Well, whenever you were saying that th this idea of superiority possibly being a fuel for this perspective in Pentecostal circles, at least the Pentecostal circles I came up with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was definitely a thing, because I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've ever been to a Pentecostal service, which I know you guys did some uh, some gate crashing back in the day. You know, you wrote about that in your book. and We've talked about this on the podcast. You and Brandon, you couple of troublemakers, you a Pentecostal oh, church mercy. service is is much different than a church service within the churches of Christ. It's much different. Things can get crazy in a hurry. And whenever we would go to church, whenever I was a kid, it wouldn't be uncommon for the service to be quote, and I'm, I'm saying this in air quotes for the service to be a dead service. Yeah. In other words, no one's being crazy. No one's getting up and running the aisles. No one's crashing out in the middle of the floor. No one's speaking in tongues or shouting or hollering or, or doing anything. You know, that, that would be the case sometimes. And it wasn't uncommon for whoever was leading testimony service, which was basically an open forum where anyone could get up and say anything about what God had done for them in the previous week. If things were dead for too many services in a row, it wouldn't be uncommon for someone to go on a tirade about how, well, why do you get so excited about the football game, but you're not going to get excited about <laughs> serving the yep. Lord here. Yep. You know, you can go out yonder to the ball game or you can go and do this or have a wing yeah, you'll, you'll watch or a, You'll watch a football else. game for four hours and get happy about overtime. But if the preacher goes over five minutes, you're wanting to leave. Exactly, man. Woo, so, I've preached that sermon a time or two, man. Oh, baby, let me tell you. But but that idea of, of this being a fuel for latent self-righteousness to gain an air of superiority, to use that to guilt and shame other people because of the fun they would have. And because supposedly they weren't having any fun in church, quote unquote. Oh yeah, man, I can definitely, definitely relate to that. But I also think what you said is true about people just simply wanting to do what they think is right. I think that there's a lot to that as well, because 
they've been taught that having too much fun is wrong. And whenever you were saying your grandmother would say that about you going out, that's kind of how our dad was with us growing up. Like, and I'll have to tell you a story off the air because I'm not sure about the statute of limitations. I have to tell you about the time we almost burned down someone's house. That's a, that's a funny story. But yeah, whenever you were talking about your grandma, I can really relate to that because our dad would kind of do the same thing with us. Like we would go to a friend's house, they come over to our house, but we didn't want to do too much because we didn't want to have too much fun. And I don't know if that's because of misery, like what you said before. I don't think it was because of, of blatant self-righteousness. It may have been because he wanted to do what was right, but there are a lot of people, like you were saying, that have been taught that having too much fun is wrong. And based on some of the conversation we had had before, that's largely a throwback to the asceticism that existed in the early church prior to that. Yeah, so asceticism is severe self-discipline and depriving yourself of any kind of indulgences or gratifications for spiritual purposes. And so what you're doing is you're choosing to forgo something that would be pleasurable are enjoyful or joyful or something that you would really enjoy because you believe that you're following a more spiritual path. And asceticism manifested itself among early Christians in all sorts of different ways. And it still manifests itself today, I believe, in the idea that you're not supposed to have too much fun. Now, asceticism is a broad category, so it can include anything from abstaining from certain foods or marriage to even depriving oneself of food if it tastes too good, if it's too flavorful. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. And extreme forms could even include self-inflicted pain. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Da Vinci Code. Have you ever seen that movie? Okay. No, never have. Well, there's a scene where there is, um, he's a monk, I believe, one of the, in fact, I haven't seen it in years, but he's basically beating himself. And it's his way of trying to punish the flesh in order to reward the spirit, because the idea is that only the spirit is something that could ever be good. And this idea comes from something known as dualism. So if we want to know where this idea comes from of separating the spirit from the body and believing that the body, the flesh is bad and the spirit is the only thing that's good, it comes from this idea known as dualism, where the the mind and body are viewed as distinct and separable. And that's why a lot of early Christians believe that Jesus actually only appeared to be in the flesh and that he actually didn't come in the flesh because the flesh is evil. <laughs> the flesh is wicked. So if Jesus was God, he couldn't be in the flesh because that would have been an evil thing. That would have been a bad thing. And so from this perspective, the flesh of a human was perceived as evil. And anything you could do to deprive that, anything you could do to tame that or punish that, that was considered a good thing. So anytime you're feeding worldly pleasure, that was a bad thing. You were you were following in yeah. line with Satan or you were feeding that flesh and that that's something that you weren't supposed to be doing. So when we take all of that into consideration, it was believed that um, much of early Christian asceticism it can be traced back to forms of Judaism. But church historians agree that Greek moral thought also influenced ascetic ideas in the church, especially as Christianity continued to develop. And I want to talk about several of these ideas because especially growing up in the churches of Christ, I think a lot of people who listen to this, if they came from the church of Christ, you're going to appreciate this too. Clement of Alexandria, he thought musical instruments had no place in a Christian's life, not just in worship, but also at any 
secular banquet are to be used at any time. He believed it was wrong to use instrumental music anytime. Now, this was far from a biblical uh, precedent because this early opposition to instrumental music appears to stem from the musical Puritanism of these pagans or non-Christians, which once again goes back to this dualistic idea. Perhaps even more surprising, though, than the whole instrumental music debate is that this condemnation actually often extended to vocal singing. (laughs) So it wasn't just musical instruments, but we find that this same influence also made many of these early church fathers hesitant to even accept unaccompanied a cappella singing in their assemblies. They wrestled with the idea that singing was an ovation because it was pleasurable. So there were these early church fathers who believed that, no jokely, silent contemplation was the proper approach to God's worship. And so to allow physical singing, not just singing in the heart, but to actually allow singing from your voice was an addition. It was an innovation that was to grant a concession to the weakness in those human beings who found silent contemplation difficult are impossible. So th- this extended even to singing because you don't you don't want to sing praise songs to God because it may be too joyful. It, it, there may be too much pleasure. So let's just use silent contemplation. Um, when it comes to sex, we talked about sex not too long ago. Augustine apparently did not read Song of Solomon because he was perhaps one of the most influential figures in the history of early Christianity. And of course, he had many ascetic thoughts and ideas, as most Christians did for uh, many hundreds of, well, really throughout Christianity, but especially those first four to five, six hundred years. But Augustine believed that Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God led to sin within their own bodies. And he saw sexual desire as a symptom of the sinful human as an attempt to assert autonomy against God. This is what he said. The result of the original sin was that human beings lost control even over themselves, which manifested in sexual desire. Now, he, like many other ascetics, believed that sex and marriage was only for the purpose of procreation and not pleasure, and that God allowed there to be pleasure during sex, but that that wasn't the original intent. And that once again, that was more of an allowance and accommodation, a concession while a couple was attempting to procreate. Now, he never actually condemned the the legitimacy of sexual pleasure within marriage itself. He actually never came out and said it's sinful to have pleasure and to feel pleasure and to accept pleasure while you're having sex. But he did understand it as a human concession. And in some instances, get this, Lee, he went as far to argue that if a married couple had sex for the express and exclusive purpose of sexual pleasure without any intent of procreation, they were committing adultery within marriage. Wow, man. <laughs> That's wild. But it, but what's hilarious is that it's not really all that far off the mark for the position that a lot of people within the churches of Christ, and I would even say outside the churches of Christ, within within a more fundamentalist perspective on evangelical Christianity, that's very similar to the position that a lot of people have today and that like our grandparents and great-grandparents had. There are a lot of people that viewed sex was something that you only did to have children. And if you did it any other time, if you enjoyed it at any other time, that that you were sinning. I mean, a lot of 
I know that there are some older folks that had separate yeah. bedrooms, you know, they, and I mean, maybe you could chalk it up to snoring. That's what a lot of them would say. Well, my husband or my wife, she snores way too much or he snores way too loud and I can't get any sleep. But for a lot of them, it, it was because that temptation wasn't something that they wanted. It, it was something they didn't want to yeah. succumb to because their childbearing years were over. They didn't want to give in to those urges of the flesh and a lot of that stems from that that story in the Bible in Genesis about Onan, whenever he refused to do the right thing under the leveret marriage or levirate marriage. I think it's leveret, right? Man, Is that I'm, how it's pronounced? You no, know, I'm not. Maybe. I'm not very good at pronouncing things. So, well, you're from Alabama. Yeah. We love you anyway. But, <laughs> but, but it has to do with Onan, right? I mean, that, that's yeah, one of the biggest and, reasons yeah, why a lot of people held that yeah, position. Genesis 38, 8 and 9, when he, quote unquote, the text says, spilled his seed on the ground because he didn't want to impregnate Tamar, because he did not want to give offspring to his deceased brother through his new wife. And that's why he did it. But yet Christians have proof text this and said, well, the Bible calls his actions wicked. So instead of actually looking at the context of what actually was considered wicked, they just looked at and isolated that one text, that one verse, and said, well, it's wrong to have sex without trying to impregnate your your spouse, your wife. And so if you're having sex and you're not trying to actually procreate, then it's wrong to involve yourself in such sexual pleasure. And, and that's why there were so many individuals who remained celibate. And the early church fathers, we talked about this a little bit in our study on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, but they were very strict on their views. I mean, you had some early church fathers who believed that you shouldn't marry at all. Then you had some who believed that you yeah. could have one marriage and that it was even wrong to remarry if your spouse died or if your spouse committed adultery and was not interested in, in continuing in a marriage. They even believed in those situations it would be wrong. But then you had some who, once again, saw it really as this concessional idea that, okay, well, may not be God's will or ideal, but he allows it because we're humans. But it's still on this basis that, you know, God really doesn't want us to enjoy sexual pleasure, even if it's with our spouse. That's really not what we need to be doing, because the only reason you need to get married and have sex is to have more children, to be fruitful and multiply. And that's that ancient worldview going all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 that a lot of even evangelicals believe. They believe that if you're going to get married today, the biblical pattern is to get married so that you could have children because it was a procreative society and world they lived in during that time. And Christians have taken that yeah. culture and context and they've tried to inject it into today's world and say, well, this is why we're to marry today is not really so much about the relationship, not so much about the pleasure, uh, but just so that we can continue to procreate. But even in the Bible, you see passages like Proverbs 5.18 that talks about rejoicing with the wife of your youth and let, letting her breast satisfy you at all times. That doesn't sound like just for procreation. Um, you know, when, <laughs> when you look at Song of Solomon, I mean, you see that there's great enjoyment in sex. Anyone who's ever had sex knows sex is something that's very pleasurable. And yeah, it's, it's fun. wonderful. And and that just, you know, unfortunately, and this this could be another episode, but growing up in legalistic environments, you're almost taught that sex is a shameful thing, a bad thing. And a lot of Christians have problems with having sex, even with their spouses, because they were 
taught that this is this is a bad thing and they're guilty they feel guilty just for having sex and enjoying it too much or having it too often there was this one female writer one time who i would disagree with probably about 99 percent of everything that she's ever written and uh, one of the things that she said is that women um, are not should should not have sex our men should not have sex too often that if you're married don't have you know you don't need to have sex too often and I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, and by the way, she's not a counselor. I mean, this woman's not qualified to speak on those types of things. She's simply trying to cherry pick her understanding of these Bible verses to try to make these arguments. And in doing so, there's been many families who have been wrecked because of her horrible advice on her view of what sex and marriage should, should look like. But this also extended, I want to go back to the early church fathers because this actually extended to a lot of ascetic groups. And so not just individual beliefs, but there were whole Christian sects that were influenced by different ascetic beliefs. And so one group of Christians in the second century were known as the Incretites, and they opposed all marriage. Just mentioned that earlier, how there were some early Christians who opposed all marriage. They opposed the eating of meats and the consumption of any intoxicating beverages. And they would even substitute water or milk in place of wine for communion. Now, there were individuals like Irenaeus who opposed these uh, these incretites, but the idea is that there were many groups like this out there. And his comment establishes, uh, Irenaeus makes a comment about them, and it establishes how popular and well-known these views were among some Christians. And there was also another group, which I found very fascinating, especially the way it got started. There's a group that was known, and I think we did talk about this a little bit in the marriage, marriage divorce, and remarriage series, but there was a group known as the Desert Fathers, or at least that's what they later became known as. And they had a significant impact on the development of early Christianity. And the way this whole thing got started is there was a Christian known as Anthony the Great who was very wealthy. And he went and he heard a sermon based upon the writings we have. And the minister who was speaking quoted Matthew 19, 21, where Jesus told the rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then you can come and follow me. Well, he heard this and took this instruction directly. He felt like he was being uh, led by the Holy Spirit. He believed that this instruction was meant to be followed straightforwardly, directly, literally, and he did. And he sold everything he had, no joke, and he moved into the desert to seek complete solitude. This was in the third century is when this happened. And the movement ended up attracting literally thousands of followers, including women who were later known as the desert mothers. And aside from things like isolation, celibacy, extreme fasting, the lifestyle of some, as I mentioned earlier, even encompassed abstaining from certain foods if they tasted too good, if it was too flavorful. What they did instead is they would eat mud pies because they didn't have any flavor to them. Because if they started to eat fruit, if they started to eat some vegetables, too many of them they felt like that was too enjoyable and that that was appeasing and satisfying the flesh when they should be depriving their flesh. Now, of course, even under the umbrella of desert fathers and mothers, not all were true hermits and there were distinctive categories with some being stricter than others. But the idea is that asceticism is something that has always been prominent among Christians. It's manifested itself in different ways. And quite frankly, you know what's funny, Lee? Today, most Christians who believe you shouldn't have too much fun they, they are looking at it from the aspect of work. They believe that instead of having fun, you should be working all the time. The conversations that I've had, they're yeah. like, well, you need to be working. You need to be working it. 
And I, I, quite frankly, I think a lot of people think I have too much fun. Me and Bethany, we go to Disney World all the time. And uh, we do. We have, we have a really, 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 really fun life. And, uh, and always, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. But we, uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we just have a very pleasurable life. Yeah. But here's the thing is that it's, it's, it's when you look at this and you hear people say, well, you don't need to have too much fun. Usually these are people who believe you should be working all the time. Most of the conversations I've had with people are what we would describe as workaholics. And that's not even what the early church fathers believed. They believe that you should sell everything, that you shouldn't have any money, that you should just go and live in complete solitude. And so even their understanding of asceticism is very different in the way it manifested among them in the early centuries versus how it's manifested today in our culture, in our Western culture, where everything is, you get up in the morning and you work, 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 and you work, 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 and people are just driving themselves crazy. And you almost feel guilty if you take a, uh, just an hour to yourself. And unfortunately, that's how our culture's built. It's built around you wake up, you work. Uh, you, you That's all you do. You don't have too much fun. And even if you compare America uh, to some of the European countries, you see how how little vacation time we have and, and just how much we not only not enjoy ourselves, but even rest. We just really have time for these things because we're always trying to work, work, work. So I, I do think it's not just dualism and asceticism. But I believe it's also the idea of how we've been taught in our culture that if you're not always accomplishing something, then you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then that get that gets mixed in with Christianity of, oh, yeah, well, we don't need to have too much fun anyway. So it, it can kind of just all mix together and end up in this huge toxic argument about why you shouldn't have too much joy or pleasure in life. Well, and I think that it's 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 easy enough to do, especially whenever you think about the parable, whenever you were talking about not having too much fun in terms of work, it reminded me of two things. One of them it reminded me of was about my second or third week in my practice. I had a new patient call in that wanted to to come in and he was wondering when we were, you know, if he could get in the next day at like 7.15 in the morning. I was like, well, no, sir, we open at 9.00. And, or, or no, he wanted to get in the next day. And I was like, oh, well, no, sir, we're, we're closed on Thursdays. And he's like, okay, well, what about Friday? I can do 715. I was like, well, sir, we don't open till nine. And he said, nine o'clock and you're closed on Thursday. Well, I'm just, I'm not even going to come see you. I want to see someone yeah, who wants yeah. to work. And I'm like, were you even there for the past, you, you know, seven and a half years that I've been in school? <laughs> like you saying, I don't want to work taking 33 hours a semester, going to school from 7 a.m. to sometimes 7 or 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday, and then from 7 to 4 on Fridays. Bro, you want to talk about work? Let's talk about work. But what you said about that's absolutely true. And then whenever you look at it through, through a Christian lens and you think about that parable of the talents, you think about that, that servant that went and took the five talents and turned it into 10. And this person who took two and turned it into five, they're regarded well because they use that money. They use those resources and through their work, they doubled it. But the servant that's condemned is the one that took that talent and buried it. And so it's easy to extrapolate from that, from that parable, this idea that you need to be working, you need to be active, you know, you can rest when you're dead. And that in my mind paints an even larger picture that we often ignore about how much culture influences 
our perspectives on faith, how much our culture influences what we perceive as truth, what we write off as being superfluous or untrue. And it's not just our church culture, but it's the culture in which we are embedded. That entire ideology is a product of our workaholic culture. I think you're exactly right. Well, and there's the other argument as well that people point to, and that is when you look at the New Testament specifically, you see Jesus and Paul and Peter talk a lot about how Christians are going to be persecuted. And if you're persecuted, clearly that's not really an enjoyable thing. Now, Paul talks about counting it all joy when you go through trials and you need to be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. And those types of things are found all throughout the New Testament. But the idea is that Christians should be suffering. We should be people who are in constant misery. Now, it may never be explained in those terms, but that's kind of the implication that some Christians leave when they talk about this subject. And the problem, once again, is Bible interpretation, which I've got a book coming out one day where we're going to be talking all about this stuff and much more. But it's our expectation of Scripture. And when we go to the Bible and we believe that we're to read the Bible directly and we're to apply it directly, and we don't realize that it wasn't written to us in a different time, in a different culture, to different situations for different reasons and purposes, and we try to take it directly and apply it to us, we'll end up like Ignatius, who said that he was mad when he was in prison and Christians prayed for his delivery because he says, no, don't pray for my delivery. Pray that I will die. Pray that I will be put to death because that's the only way I can really follow Jesus in his footsteps. When we try to mimic scripture to that point, thinking that, okay, well, I'm too happy in life. I've got to go and find a way to get persecuted so I can be following the Bible. I've got to find a way to be a martyr for Jesus. We try to uh, force something that is not our culture, something that is not in our day and time, not our situation, not written for us, and we try to force it. And when we try to make it fit and say, well, you know, there's no authority to be entertained. And Jesus said, we're all going to be hated by everybody anyway. So if you're enjoying life, then you're not really following Jesus. <laughs> and yeah. and, and it's, it's trying to read through the, the culture at that time into our culture without realizing they lived in a different time and place. Yes, during that time, Christianity was heavily persecuted. And by the way, in some countries today, Christianity is heavily persecuted, no doubt. But Jesus wasn't thinking about all cultures for all times because, quite frankly, um, once Christianity became the the state religion uh, some 1,700 years ago, and since that time, of course, you have the Inquisition, and that was more just torturing their own Christians because not believing the way that they did. But the, the fact of the matter is, most people who have, especially in America, followed God, they've been rewarded for that. Even to this day, it drives me insane. It drives me bonkersly when I hear Christians say, oh, we're being persecuted in America today. Go to another country and see what persecution looks like if you're a Christian. We're not persecuted yeah. in America. We're rewarded in America for being a Christian. In fact, especially in the states we live in, Oklahoma, I, I was born in Alabama, the southern states. If you're not a Christian, you're going to get made fun of. Um, you're going to get persecuted if you're not a Christian. Now, it's a hybrid Christianity. It's not a, I don't believe it's a true Christianity. We got Blake Shelton saying, this is God's country. <laughs> that's not really Christianity. But the thing is, is that that's kind of this idea. That's that's this thought process behind it is that, you know, we, we are not persecuted in America today for being Christians. And no matter how much we want to be, no matter how much we try to be, so we can have this self-soothing of, of trying to victimize ourselves of, oh, poor pitiful us. But the thing is, is that 
so much of this is because of how we're reading the Bible and we're trying to force situations into our day and time and say, well, I don't want to look like I'm having too much fun, Lee, because Jesus said you'll be hated by all for my name's sake and that we'll be persecuted. And so maybe this is, we talked about this, I think a few episodes ago about taking up your cross to follow Jesus and how people have, have misapplied that today to mean all sorts of different things. And something else I wanted to bring up was Paul. Paul himself talked about asceticism back in Colossians 2, verse 20 through 23. He says, If with Christ you died to the elementary spirits or principles of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations, such as do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so Paul here is addressing this in Colossians 2, where he's saying, look, there is this asceticism. There are those, it looks wise. There's an appearance of wisdom. There's an attraction to asceticism because there's this self-made religion and it looks good to punish the body. It looks self-sacrificial, but really it, it has no value. And, and his point, especially at that time, is you can try to deprive yourself all you want to. You're still going to be tempted. You, you can go live in celibacy. Yeah. And if you study a lot of church fathers and individuals who tried to live in celibacy, they did not live in celibacy. Um, well, they may have gotten, never gotten married, but they were, uh, they were definitely finding some loopholes there and ways to still find Absolutely. pleasure. But the problem is that Paul's, Paul's making the point by saying the problem is you can try to deprive your flesh all you want to, but that's not the problem. The, the, the problem is, is that we, we are human and as humans, we're always going to struggle. And so it's not a matter of, of saying, well, if I can deprive my flesh or if I can remain celibate or if I can see how much I can uh, self-sacrifice joys in this life, th then I'm going to reach a new spiritual high. And even Paul talked about this in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, where he talks about people teaching that you couldn't eat certain foods and that you should abstain from marriage. And, and, and Paul even addresses that. And in large part, if you go back to 1 Corinthians, some Christians had taken what Paul said in Corinth, where Paul says it's better for a man not to touch a woman. Paul was writing into a very situational context where there was either a famine or there was going to be persecution. There's a lot of debate as to what was going on there. But he was writing to a specific situation. Paul wasn't using that as a propositional universal truth because if he was, he contradicted the fact that God created humans for relationship. And so I don't think Paul is trying to rewrite everything that Jesus taught and that God taught. I think what Paul's doing is he's saying in this situation, it would be better not to get married. In this situation, it would be better not to do this. Why? Because of what's about to happen. But then Paul really makes his point even more clear in 1 Timothy 4 by saying, but there's nothing wrong with it. And it's wrong to tell people they shouldn't get married. It's wrong to tell people that you shouldn't eat these certain foods. And of course, people still did it anyway. And then today, as we've been talking about, that manifests itself in all sorts of various ways where people will say, well, you can't have too much fun, which in and of itself is a self-defeating proposition because if that's your argument or if that's your proposition, my question is, well, where does the Bible say you can have a little bit of fun or any bit of fun? And if you can have a little bit of fun, what's the difference between a little bit and a lot of bit? And why should somebody be punished for enjoying their life more than someone else? <laughs> no, and I think those are very, very good points. And, and it comes right down to defining the terms. Yeah. What does it mean to have too much fun? 
you know, I've been thinking about this because, you know, whenever you, whenever we were talking earlier and you were saying, you know, this would probably be a good topic to discuss. I've been thinking about what it could mean to have too much fun. And this is kind of where I've landed on it. And it ties into what we talked about in terms of physiology before, how fun, joy, pleasure, that's largely due to neurotransmitter release. It's due to serotonin. And the only thing that I can think of in which you could define biblically someone having too much fun would have to do with the loss of self-control or or the sacrifice of other things in pursuit of self, harming your own life or harming the life of someone else in pursuit of fun. So if, if, for example, there are some people and we've, we've talked about this before, whenever we've talked about trauma, when we talked about loss and grief, how there are some people that deal with their grief or that deal with stress by eating food. You know, you, you've spoken before about how that is an, an issue that, that you have yeah. had before. And it's because whenever you're feeling stress and your cortisol levels go up and your chemistry gets thrown out of kilter, you want to bring that serotonin back. For some people, it's sex. For some people, it's alcohol. For some people, it's tobacco. For some people, it's food. And I think that the idea of the pursuit of pleasure for the sake of pleasure itself, whenever there is perhaps an addiction to pleasure, an addiction to serotonin, you might say, I think you could make the case at that point that it's sinful because it begins to tread on the idea of losing self-control in pursuit of something else. Yeah, but even then you have to define those terms and what those things mean. And the problem isn't necessarily that those terms are ill-defined, but it's because we formulate an idea in our own minds as to what that is. And then we project that on everyone else and we hold everyone else to that expectation that we have established and that we have set for ourselves. That's the issue. The issue isn't that, Kevin, you're having too much fun going to Disney World multiple times a year with you and your wife. I believe you should only go once every four years. And, you know, if you're going beyond that, think of all the the shoes you could put on people without shoes and all the, the hungry bellies you could feed with that money you're spending to go over there to Disney World just for your own mirth. And, and at that point, well, is that too much fun? Well, from my perspective, it may be. And from my perspective, I probably shouldn't do those things. But does that necessarily mean we, we make it a zero sum game? That doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing those other things and you're not helping these other people. It's like this, uh, this meme. I love memes. I, I absolutely love memes. And you know this. I've sent you memes before. We like to share memes with each other. But it's like this meme that was going around. It was a, a picture of a Corvette and someone asked the guy, hey, you know, have you thought about how many mouths that you could feed with the money you spent on that Corvette? And the guy said, well, yeah, I know I fed the mouths of the workers on the assembly line that build it. I know I fed the mouths of the family of the uh, uh, sales manager that sold it to me. I know I fed mm-hmm. the mouths of the, the textile people that created the seats and, and so on yeah, and so forth. That, man. Yeah, and, and that. Yeah. And that right there is the issue because we get it in our minds. We define these terms in a way that makes sense to us. And that's largely based on our culture. It's largely based on what we have been told or what we have been taught, but we define those terms for ourselves. And then we project those definitions on the other people whenever they're incredibly subjective in and of themselves. And and we call it a biblical thing. We say that we're calling Bible things by Bible names and we're holding fast to the truth and that we are pursuing the truth of what the Bible teaches about this. Whenever you boil it down to its essence, 
we've essentially proof texted. We've taken a, a, a set of passages from here. We've taken a verse over there and we've built this Voltron of a doctrine from all of these different pieces from everywhere else. We've built this stack of cards that makes perfect sense to us. And then we try to bind that on yeah. everybody else. And that's true whether we're talking about instrumental music. That's true whether we're talking about the cups on the communion table. That's true whether we're talking about the concept of having fun and modern day asceticism. It, it's true all the way across the board. And when we fail to recognize that's the case, that's when we fail to recognize our own culpability in our own error. And that, in my opinion, is a much more dangerous place to be than having, quote, yeah. too much fun. But who am I? What do I know? <laughs> too much fun. What's that mean? I mean, we're talking about all sorts of good Oh, I was just thinking about that you know, song. I, I, Man, I, and I'm not a fan of country at all, but yeah, I was thinking about that too. <laughs> well, I got to thinking about what you were saying with spending money because that was an argument that I used to use against some some people who had very very nice Oh, houses. me too. I would say, well, you know, you don't have to have yeah. a house that nice. It, it, you, you don't really need a car that's that expensive. You, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. The problem is, is that everyone has certain things that they do like more than others. Some people, uh, they, yeah. they want to have a very nice car. That's, that's, that's their passion. That is their hobby. That's something that they enjoy. And so they end up buying a very nice vehicle. And in doing so, they may sacrifice going out to eat as often as you do. Whereas you're both st spending the same amount of money on quote unquote worldly pleasures, you're just you're just doing it in different ways because you could turn around to that person who's complaining about the one who bought a nice car and say, well, you go out to eat too often. You don't have to go out to eat. You could just buy ramen noodles or you could just make beans and rice and that would be plenty for you to be able to live off of. You're, you're spending way too much money going out to eat. And, and, and then those who cook, you could say, well, you don't have to cook all the things that you're cooking. You're actually cooking too much food. You're cooking uh, too expensive food. You, you, it's too, too expensive. You need to go lower on your grocery bill. And yeah, all of that time you're spending cooking, you could be going down here to the, yeah, to yeah. the food bank or to the soup kitchen <laughs> and volunteering your time there all that time you're spending. <laughs> and so it never ends. It's this problematic loop that no matter what, it never ends because, yeah, we, we could always look at what we're spending, whether it's our time, whether it's our money. And a lot of this just comes from guilt. It comes from a, a system of guilt. Yeah. I've heard preachers say, well, if you want to know what's important to somebody, look at their calendar and look at their checkbook and look at their bank account. Okay, that's true. But the thing is, is that those two things in and of itself doesn't necessarily tell you everything about that person because you don't know what they're using uh, their money for all the time. You don't know, you know, maybe they're buying all of those gift cards to give to people. Maybe they're buying clothes to give to people. Maybe they buy clothes and they buy nice clothes, but they don't spend as much money on a house. Or maybe they go on more vacations, but they don't spend as much money on a car or vice versa or whatever it might be. And, and that's the problem is that everyone, everyone could look at themselves or look at other people and say, well, you could change this, 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 but that's a never ending problematic loop. And when it, when, when yeah. you boil it down is, I think you pointed this out and I think this was a really good point you made is that if you're hurting someone in order to have pleasure, if you're making fun of somebody, if you're if you're putting someone in harm's way or oppressing them in any way, or if you're hurting yourself 
or if you are losing self-control and you're damaging your own life or causing toxicity in relationships, yes, then we need to address that. But that wouldn't be because you're having too much fun. It's because of what those things are ultimately leading to. It's it's not it's not that old slippery slope argument. Well, you can't do this because of where you know of this. Well, if it leads to that, that's what we need to address, um, not the other things that people are doing. And you know that's yeah. you could say, well, working leads to money, and money leads to evil. So therefore, you shouldn't work. That's a slippery slope. You start working, that's a slippery slope. It doesn't work that way. Those are bad arguments. But yeah. that's where a lot of people are coming from with this when they're talking about having too much fun, which, as I said before, goes back to the original question of, well, what does it even mean to have too much fun? And by the way, fun, as you pointed out, and enjoyment, when we're talking about the chemical reaction, there's also a lot of just perspective. I I, I just have a good time in life, and I really do. I, I'm a very happy person. I attribute a lot of that to, to my trials. Quite frankly, my trials have made me a very happy person because I don't take life too seriously anymore. Um, you know, it's, it is what it is. Nobody makes it out alive. So I'm, I'm just going to trust in God, enjoy my life. But it's, it's one of those things where I can do the same thing that somebody else is doing, but I can have a lot more fun at it than they're having because I've trained myself on how to have a good time, no matter what I'm doing. And even people have looked at me before. Bethany's the same way. She has a blast. She, she, um, she Bethany's just always smiling too. And uh, she told me one time when she was uh, taking a trip for college, she went with a group of girls. It was when they were doing some um, studies abroad. And one girl said, "Well, you're just too happy. You're, 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 you know, you're happy all the time. You know, no, no person should be that happy." And and I'm just thinking, what a miserable statement that is. And yeah, who yeah. hurt you? I mean, that's what yeah, I would want to ask. It's, it's what are you going you? through that that would make you believe that? And that's why I think so much of this boils down to, at times, people wanting to justify their own misery, um, or as as you pointed out, just these. Some people may may not necessarily be miserable, but they just may believe that they're not supposed to have too much fun. That this is something that their parents taught them, and their grandparents taught their parents, and so on and so forth. And so that's what they think they should do because too much fun is just not right. And we'll go ahead. I was going to say, man, one of the things that you just said, and I would be remiss if I didn't touch on this and it's starting to get late and I'm getting tired. So I may forget if I don't say it now, but you know, you said that your trials have made you happy. You don't take life too seriously. You look at things from a fun perspective and you have fun in life just in general. That's one of the things that I love about you. That's one of the things I love about doing this podcast with you because we can talk about serious subjects and serious topics, but we can do so in, in a conversational, lighthearted manner that's approachable for a lot of people. And I think that that's a testament to why this podcast has been the success that it's been so far. And hopefully it'll continue to be a success and continue to help more and more people. But that perspective, that joyful life, brother, it's a gift yeah. from God. It is a gift that God has given you and helped hone within you through your trials and through what you have experienced. And, you know, I'm a pretty fun loving guy too. I, I like to have fun and there are times where life has been less fun and there are times when it's been more fun, but in general, life's pretty good here in Oklahoma. Life's pretty good here in America. And I am incredibly thankful that I'm not being persecuted <laughs> yeah. for my faith. I'm yeah, I mean, I'm thankful that I have the ability to pursue joy 
and to have a joyful life, to enjoy time with my wife. Disneyland ain't for me, man. There's too many people. There's too much going on. I mean, eventually we'll take the kids there whenever I can hey, sell we'll, a kid. We'll take you some time, man. We'll show you but, a good time. Hey, uh, hey, brother, I will take you up on that. We'll we'll see. We'll have to see about coordinating that in the future. But, but I mean, but you know, all of this boils down to our value system. What do we value? And what is it that brings us joy in life? It's like that Marie Kondo thing that was that was all the rage. What two or three years ago? If it doesn't bring you joy, throw it out. You know what? Why do things bring us joy the way they do? And so much of that has to do with our own cultural conditioning. But I think what's missed so often is that even when those things are a culturally conditioned response or a culturally conditioned thing, we miss the fact that this is a gift from God. The joy that we experience in our lives, whether it's a car, like for me, I love cars. My grandpa was a mechanic. My dad would trade a car about every two years. He loved having a new car. I love having a nice car. Do I need one? No. I've I've got a 06 Silverado with 200,000 miles on it that is paid for, and it runs like a champ. I could drive that thing no problem. But the car that I have, I have it because I like cars. It gives me a sense of satisfaction. It gives me a sense of joy. I derive joy from it. Kim ain't that way. She will drive her minivan until the wheels fall off. We'll put the wheels so back I, on. And I she'll still drive have my car more. from when I was 17, man, in high school. Dude, I still that's drive awesome. That around. Oh, man. I've had, I've had way too many cars, but anyway, get too far <laughs> afield here. It's, but, but we need to remember above all else that the joy we experience, whether it's in the car we drive, whether it's fulfillment in the work that we do, whether it's in the food that we eat, whether it's in the love and the passion we experience with our partner, with our spouse, whatever it is, that joy, it's a gift of God and manifesting that joy in our lives. It's a yeah. fruit of the spirit. We almost want to rip, and we almost want to rip we, that. We almost want to take that and rip it off the tree. Yeah, we want to get rid of it. We want to prune it off of there because in all of the passages that exist, as you have have so well pointed out, that we are to suffer for the cause of Christ, that we are going to face persecution, that people in our own households are going to hate us. It's almost as if 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 we're experiencing too much mirth, if we're experiencing too much joy, that we're doing something wrong in our lives. And I think that's where a part of that mentality comes from. And it's because we fail to recognize that joy, that pleasure, that happiness, that fun is a gift from God. It is something that God has given us. And that brings us full circle back to what Kohelet said, back to what the preacher said, or Solomon, whatever your preference is in Ecclesiastes. These are things that God gives us as a gift, having pleasure in life, that's not wrong. That is not sinful in and of itself. And whenever we can let go of that desire to be so pious that we self-flagellate ourselves into a miserable existence, if we can let go of that, I really think that we could do a whole lot more good for the cause of Christ whenever the people around us in the world see the joy we have. Yeah, if if we're going around everywhere acting like we're in pain and oh woe is me and life is just horrible that's not going to be attractive but if i'm living life where i'm happy i'm joyful and i understand there's difference between happiness and joy i I get all that but they are closely connected and 
we can be happy every single day of our life or at least find things to be happy about. I mean, there's obviously going to be days and times and seasons within our life where things just flat out suck. And we need to go through times of mourning. Yeah. And we just talked about that not too long ago with joy, uh, not the concept of joy, but the woman joy when we talked about grief and, and those, joy those things, those things Thank you, do joy. happen. But if, if, you know, these are blessings that we're not counting that we're missing out on because we're we're actually trying to not be too joyful, too happy, making sure that we're not enjoying things too much. You know, I enjoy food. I love food. Um, that's been a struggle, quite frankly, um, for me, as far as uh, overeating and 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 I'm doing really well right now. But you know that that's something that has been a constant struggle. My weight, I've I've gone through uh, some ups and downs with that. But the point is, is that I, I enjoy food. I enjoy tasting food. Um, I enjoy I enjoy my job. I enjoy talking to people and laughing while I'm while I'm working. There there are so many different things. I love certain fragrances um, that that we have in our home. I don't have to have all that. I could say, well, I'm going to deprive myself of these things, but I enjoy that. I, the, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. And so most people are probably already having these pleasures in their life, but they're not even recognizing that they're pleasurable because they've taught themselves to not enjoy it, to make sure that they're not being, yeah. um, you know, too happy with the things that they have. Oh, okay. You know, this is, I don't I need to always be looking for ways to complain, which the Bible says never to complain, but people try to find ways to, to not count their blessings and in doing so they're not joyful and they're not happy. They're, they're not finding pleasure in life. And some Christians, Lee, and I know you probably used to believe this, at least I know I did, is the idea that life is something that's meant to be suffered through so that one day when you die, then you can have pleasure in heaven. It, it's it's yeah. just very yes. black and white where life sucks, then you die. But if you knew Jesus, then, then you're going to have eternal life. But pretty much life is just horrible. You know, I hear people say that and I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm missing. Yeah, I've, I've, I've gone through trials. Don't get me wrong. I'm not acting like I've never gone through anything. I certainly have, and I've talked about this on the show. But quite frankly, I really love life. <laughs> I really like my life. I enjoy every day of it for the most yeah. part. Well, and I think the large part of that has to do with this freedom that you and I have both found in Christ and His grace and fully embracing and running with that more abundant life that He promises to those yeah. who follow Him. I mean, I, I, there was a time, well, I, I'm not going to say there was a time because even in my more legalistic days, I was still a fun loving guy, but there are a lot of people that would rather wallow in their own miasma of awfulness <laughs> and their awful life because somehow that makes them more pious than appreciating the beauty and the wonder and the joy that this life can give us, especially in Jesus and that more abundant life, brother, it's, it's, it's nearly indescribable, and I would always laugh and smirk at this this concept of it's a feeling or an experience better felt than told. I always thought that was so trite and just so ridiculously schmarmy. Yeah. But I've come to embrace that idea because it really is something that is better felt than told. Words can't describe the joy you can have whenever you belong to Jesus. Everything's better after that. Yeah. Food tastes better. Life is better. Life can be good. And if we are ignoring the good that can come in life and ignoring the joy that this life can bring. And like you said, it can be bad. There are days that can be that can be worse than others. I've got a friend of mine. He's a listener to the podcast. Hi, Jed, if you're listening. 
Hey, Jed, how you doing? He has a saying that I have, I've co-opted. I've stolen this from him. I've never had a bad day. I've had some days that were worse than others, but I've never had a bad day. And that is a perspective that can lead you into a greater sense of joy, a greater sense of fulfillment. And it's one that can help you to realize that it's not wrong for a Christian to have fun. Yeah, that's what my grandmother actually used to say. She said that she has had bad things happen to her in days, but she said she's never had a bad day that there were always more blessings to count and pleasures to enjoy than there were negative things to meditate or contemplate. And she said there, no matter which day, she said, even the worst day of my life or the, or the, the, the day that most people would say would be a worst day of her life wasn't bad or a bad day wasn't bad to her. There were just bad things that happened on that day. And that, and that, that goes back to perspective yeah. too, because Christianity, I believe should teach us, a better perspective, a different perspective. You know, before I used to believe that the way I convert people is arguing with them. And if I can argue enough and give them enough syllogisms, and if I could just quote enough Bible at them and throw scriptures and articles at them, that that would change their mind. Speak to that left brain. That's not what people are convinced by. Ultimately, it's an experience. And even Jesus taught that, that when you look at a tree, how do you know what kind of tree it is? by the fruit that it bears, the experience, you taste it, you see it, you feel it. That's how you know what kind of tree is by the fruit. It's, it's, it's something that you experience. And even Philip looked when, you know, who, who is this Jesus? Well, come, come and see, you know, come and experience who Jesus is. When I see people living the fruit of the spirit, that's something I want to emulate. I want yeah. that in my life. And that's what Jesus said. You you can you can say what you want to say. You can go out and plant a tree and it may be the ugliest tree ever and you can put a sign that says I'm a beautiful tree that has great fruit. And propositionally you can make that argument, but if there's a tree next to it and it is bearing good fruit, that's the one I'm going to partake. That's the one that I'm going to say is a good tree. This is the same thing with Christianity is why are so many people turned off today by different forms of Christianity, what I call Americanized Christianity? Why are people turned off by that? Because it's not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You don't see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see hatred. You see bitterness. You see division. You see oppression. You don't see freedom. You you see depression. You don't see joy. You, You see all these things. You don't see peace. You see constant strife. That nobody wants a part of that. I don't want a part of that. Jesus doesn't want a part of that. That's not what Christianity is. So we can sit there and say, well, yeah, but we're following Bible truth. But if you're not bearing fruit, you're not bearing the kind of fruit Jesus is wanting you to bear if you're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Well, and failing to recognize that is what makes it such a hard prospect for people to get behind and this mentality of being averse to fun because somehow it's not spiritual or you're not being a good Christian if you have fun. 
that is what causes so many Christians or part of what causes so many Christians to miss out on those blessings of fun, the blessings of joy that comes with serving God. And because of that mindset, because of that inherited belief where either they are already miserable and they want to justify their misery, or they have a feeling of self-righteousness that emanates from it, or they're just simply doing what they think is right because they inherited this belief from someone else. Whatever those reasons are that we've discussed, whenever someone has that worldview, joy does not manifest itself in their lives as fully as it can. And that is an inhibition to the, to the promulgation of the gospel. It is a preventative measure that stifles that growth. And I mean, those fruits of the spirit, we really need to get back into an episode on fruit of the spirit. Maybe this could double as an episode (laughs) on joy. Who knows? We've talked quite a bit about it, but as we get ready to wrap this up, I mean, this is something we could talk about forever. Is there anything else that, that you want to be sure that you get to before we, we No, the only thing I would say is that if you are questioning this, continue to question it. And as we always like to say about topics such as this, when we discuss them, allow yourself to be challenged. And we talked about this not too long ago on, other, on another subject. When we talked about Christmas. We have to allow ourselves to be challenged. And if you are not experiencing joy and peace, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have a lack of faith or that you don't love God. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that. I want to be very careful. But what it does mean is that maybe your understanding of God is too limited. Maybe it's misinformed, and there's a lot more there than meets the eye. I mean, even Paul says in Galatians 5 that it's for freedom we've been set free. We didn't preach that message. I didn't preach. There was no freedom in my belief. There was nothing but bondage, bondage upon bondage upon bondage. The only thing I thought I was free to do is not sin, which is silly because that makes zero sense. And so when you look at what Paul is talking about, it's this freedom. Jesus, in, in Matthew 11, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And, and you see Jesus talking about these things. This is some Christianity is something that we should be able to, <sighs> finally, we, we should exhale when we're Christians, not constantly be going, uh, um, what, what, what about this? What about this? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? That, that's not Christianity. That's not the way that it's presented in the scriptures. That's not the meta narrative of the Bible. That's not who Jesus is revealed in the Bible. That's not what we read about. So when we, when we begin to bear fruit that doesn't look like the fruit of the spirit, then question why? Why, why am I, why do I not have love in my life or joy or peace or patience or kindness or faithfulness, which by the way, the word faithfulness there carries more the idea of, of being, uh, being willing to trust. It's this trustworthiness, being able to, 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 to be a person who, who is trustworthy, but also being willing to trust others. You know, when, when you have this, all these ideas, is, is this the fruit that you're bearing? Is this what your life is testifying to? And if the answer is no, then I dare say that you've got a misinformed view of Christianity. Not that you're not sincere, not that you don't love God, not that you're not saved. I'm not saying any of those things, but you're not really enjoying life the way that you could if you simply challenge those presuppositions that you currently have. We would say the same thing about going back to the early church fathers. We were just, you know, when we were talking about this, we would say, well, Anthony the Great, boy, he really deprived himself. I mean, he moved out in the desert, sold everything he had. He didn't have to do that, but he did. 
he could have he could have lived a much yeah. happier life. I, I I think he saved. You know, I, I don't doubt his salvation. But the thing is, while he was on earth, he could have had a much more joyful life. We could have a much more joyful life, a much happier life, a life where we derive entertainment and pleasure from the things of this world, not because they're sinful or bad. God created the things of this world. We talk about the things of this world just if they're if they're literally physical. But all we know is physical. We're physical beings. That's all we know. Yeah. So unless you choose not to enjoy food, unless you choose not to, and by the way, I wonder how many people listening to this, if it's cold outside, if you have the heat turned on. That's a pleasure of this world. Yeah, that's a ple- It's not a spiritual pleasure. If you want to, if you want to deprive yourself, turn turn the heat off during the winter time. Show show God how faithful you are. That's silly. That's silly. But the thing is, those are pleasures. Those are pleasures of this world. If you have a car and you turn on the AC in the summertime, folks, that's a worldly pleasure. So for someone to turn around and say you can't have worldly pleasures, it's it's inconsistent. It is uh, irresponsible. And often it ends up leading to this idea of just causing more people to feel shame and guilty when they do have happy lives. And it's and it's sad. It's a shame. And- and and then in and of itself, it creates that barrier to entry, you might say, to Christianity. And that point you made, and I don't want to leave this untouched, and we'll say this and we'll we'll wrap this up because we've gone on longer than either you or I wanted to. We both ranted quite a bit. That's what I love about these episodes. You know, we've had a lot of guests on lately, and that's awesome. I love having guests on. But when it's just you and me, we get to cut loose a little bit more. We get to we get to rant a little more. We have a little more freedom. But whenever you begin to look at life through that lens, I'm reminded of what Jared Bias says in his book, Love Matters More. It's this idea that whenever Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's, it's this idea of, is that we maybe we've turned that around. Maybe Jesus is giving us a metric to know what truth is. If it doesn't make you free, mm-hmm. it's not truth. Yeah. And whenever Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If the yoke you were bearing is not easy and it is not, not light, it's yeah. not the yoke Jesus gave you at all. And and I think that goes, I, I think that that's an important point that we need to make. But now in a nutshell, don't be ashamed to enjoy this life. God gave you this life. Don't be ashamed to enjoy the food that you eat or the love and passion of your spouse. Don't be afraid to Enjoy that car that you drive or that vacation you're going on or that water slide. You're going to go down and go, wee. it's impossible to be manly whenever you're on a water slide. <laughs> no one can ever do it. But this is an abundant life. If your life is not abundant, ask yourself why. And maybe it's your circumstances. You know, I mean, there's, there's so much that could go into this that should go without saying, but think about the life you're living and the the shape that your faith is taking and the fruit that your faith yeah. is bearing. Is that a tree you would want to eat from? Is that a tree that the people in your circle would want to partake of? And if it isn't, well, then maybe reevaluate. Well, and I want to make things. one statement as well for, as a qualifier to be very clear on what we're talking. We're not talking about prosperity gospel. Uh, we're not saying no, that if, you, no, no, that no, if no, you're no, a Christian that God is going to bless you with so many uh, physical riches and and a nice car and a nice house. We're not saying that at all. But if we do have those things in this life, then we need to be thankful for them. Because I think 
And there's I nothing wrong with enjoying it. everyone has different blessings in this life. And I, I did a mission. I was part of a mission trip a while back. Uh, with, let's, I don't know, probably now about 14, 15 years ago. We went to Jamaica. And most of the individuals we met there, they actually lived under tarps. They were the most happy, joyful people that I ever met. And one of the reasons is because they were not taught to have a work culture like we were. And so they have little to no stress, at least the ones that we met in this community. Like stress wasn't even a problem for them because they didn't have the same demands that we have in America today. They don't have a lot of those stressors that we have. And so I remember that, uh, in fact, I had a conversation with one of them and he told me, he said, Kevin, he said, people always talk about uh, sending us stuff. He goes, and, and we like getting shoes and we like having, you know, making sure that we have enough food to eat. He goes, and that's great. He goes, but we feel sorry for the Americans. He said, because Americans don't know how to enjoy their life. He said, they, they're always busy working. They're, they're, they're worrying their life away. He goes, we don't do that here. We don't, we don't have that. He said, so we feel like we're the ones who are more blessed than the, the, the Americans. And I just thought that was fascinating because the idea is that we can get so warped or our brains can be so warped in thinking that, that, that blessing is nothing more than money or whatever it might be. But pleasures of this world can be derived in all sorts of different ways. And that if you live there, you're going to have blessings that we don't have and you're going to have stressors and you're going to have different problems that, you know, where we might have here that they don't and vice versa. The, 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 the idea that I'm trying to present here is it's not a matter of prosperity gospel. There's not, well, if you follow God, everything in your life is going to be great or you're going to be rich. Nothing like that. No. In fact, that predominantly is going to be based on when you're when you're born and where you're born. <laughs> that's what that's going to be yep, based upon. Absolutely. So it's how it's how we relate to those things and how we view those things and how we choose to live through uh, our perspective and, and what is our perspective in life when we do have the opportunity to enjoy pleasure. Like I said, most people don't think of air conditioning today as a pleasure. That's a worldly pleasure. Most people think in America that's that's something essential. Most people don't think of having uh, heating and air in their home as a pleasure, but that's a worldly pleasure. So a lot of things that we take for granted and other people take for granted, those are pleasures. And someone else may be deriving a lot more pleasure from the exact same thing that you have and you don't even realize that it's a pleasure. So, so much of this goes back to perspective, but I just wanted to make that point clear that we're not saying, oh, if you love God, that, you know, God's going to bless you with all these, these, you know, physical bl uh, blessings, which I do think there are physical blessings. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying we have to be careful to try to say, well, everyone who's rich has been blessed by God, because I don't think that that's necessarily true any either, because even Jesus said the sun shines on the just and on the unjust, the rain pours and falls on the just and on the unjust, because they had the idea that God's favor was upon you if it was raining or if it was sun shining. That was their belief. That was their ancient worldview. In fact, the Old Testament writers, a lot of them believed that, that they had that idea. And Jesus actually corrected that view by saying, no, 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 no. Look, there, the sun's going to shine. The rain's going to fall. That's just the natural order of things. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm approving or disapproving of anyone. Uh, that's just that's just something that that everyone experiences from time to time. But anyway, I don't mean to get too far off, but I just wanted to make that point. No, I've, and I think it's it's very very simple. 
It's very simple. We're not saying exactly what you just said. We're not saying that if you serve God, you're going to get all this stuff and that God's going to bless you mightily. The point is, is everyone in is some blessed. Ways, yeah. We all have different, in some way, we are all blessed. And there is nothing wrong with enjoying and taking pleasure from and having fun with those blessings that we have been given, period. And I think this has been a really, really good discussion. I'm thinking it's going to be helpful for a lot of people because I know there are times where I have felt guilty from the joy that I have taken and from the fun that I've had. Even though that fun wasn't necessarily sinful in and of itself, it was not a sinful thing that led to that fun or that joy. There are a lot of people, though, that do struggle with that. I know I've read on the Internet, on different message boards, different groups where people have struggled with that concept. So I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to be an episode that's helpful for folks that may have struggled with this idea or this topic. Um, we love you guys. And Kevin and I do this not only because we want to help get this word out, but because it's fun. This is something that we derive joy from having this Being podcast a Christian and, is fun. and doing what we do here. It is. It is a fun thing. And in my opinion, it's, it's one of the best ways of life that you can have. It's incredibly rewarding. (laughs) No, it's way more fun now, especially whenever you fully take up that easy yoke and that light burden. But yeah, serving Jesus, it's, it's not a burden. It's, it's a wonderful thing that derives much joy. But in any case, we love all of you. We appreciate all of you. We hope that this is helpful to you in some way. If you have questions, drop us a line. Our email is always in the show notes. Share this podcast with your friends and your family and all these other people, even if they don't want to hear it, share it with them anyway. Maybe they'll enjoy it. Maybe they won't. Maybe you won't have a friend anymore. Maybe if there's someone you want to get rid of, just share this podcast with them and they won't ever talk to you again. Who knows? Um, But in any case, we love all of you. Give us that five-star review on iTunes and we look forward to joining you again very soon.